Amen. I just want to thank Tim this morning uh, for raising the temperature about 20 degrees here. <laughs> Last week, uh, I gave you all some homework uh, to read the book of Philippians, the entire book of Philippians, not just once through the week, but every single day this week. How many of you were able to read the book of Philippians every single day this week? Awesome. How many of you tried to read the book of Philippians? That, oh, that awesome. How many of you are only remembering that I assigned this homework now as I say this? Yep, that's what I thought. How many of you found that you learned something? How many of you found that God has been revealing something in this season of your life? Is that, is that anybody? You know, while we're choosing and trying to choose joy, how many of you found that the enemy was out to steal your joy? Is that, is that anybody? In the, in the process of preparing our hearts for the message by reading the same thing through the week, we, we learn how to meditate on the Word of God. We, we learn how to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us directly through the Scriptures. Last week, we, we spent some time talking about the background to the book of Philippians, and we learned that Paul was in, in prison, and he's writing this letter to the people in, in the church at Philippi. And in spite of the current circumstances that he's suffering for the sake of Jesus, and he's falsely in prison, and in spite of all these things, this letter is actually saturated with joy. That's what we were talking about last week, that joy is in every portion of this letter, and this letter is all about having authentic joy in Jesus in spite of what's going on in your life, in spite of the difficulties that you're facing, in spite of the pain, in spite of the suffering, in spite of all of what's happening in your life, in spite of what the doctors might have told you, right, in spite of what the courts have decided against you, in spite of your financial conditions right now, in spite of what that difficult relationship looks like, you can have joy and you can be able to rise above your circumstance if you tap into the joy of the Lord. This week, I'm going to ask you to do something different as part of your homework. Last week, we read through the entire book of Philippians every single day. And this week, I'm going to ask you to read Philippians chapter 1 and 2. That's it. So I'm decreasing the amount of homework. Philippians chapter 1 and 2, every single day, whether you're 10 years old or whether you're 100 years old, I'm asking you to do this. And this shouldn't take more than 15 minutes of your day. It shouldn't even take more than 10, 10 minutes. But I'm asking you to set aside about 10, 15 minutes a day. It should be easy for you. I mean, last night I spent about a half hour uh, reading Jay's memes on Facebook because they're funny. And that's why, so I know I have 10 to 15 minutes. But before you read every day, I'm just going to ask you to pray and just ask the Holy Spirit to open your heart. Just say, Holy Spirit, would you open my heart? Would you show me new things as I read these chapters? And if you do that, I'm telling you that God is going to speak to you. He's going to speak directly to you as you read the word 
with the help of the Holy Spirit in your life. This morning, would you turn in your Bibles with me to Philippians chapter 1, verse 18, and we're going to look at the second part of 18, or the last part of 18 through 21, as we continue our series this morning called Unexpected Joy. This is what it says, the last part of 18. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance or my salvation through your prayers and through the provision of the Spirit of Jesus, according to my earnest expectations and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness, Christ will even now, as always, be exalted in my body whether by life or by death. And I love this verse. For me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. You know, up to this point, Paul has been looking at the past, right? If you read verse 12, he says, I want you to know that the things that have happened to me happened for the sake of the gospel, You know, he's writing to the Philippians and he's telling them about all the things that have happened in the past to him. And he's letting them in on the things that are happening to him right now in the present. And now at this point, in the last part of verse 18, he's looking to the future and he's predicting the future. Verse 18, he says, I will rejoice. It's future tense, right? Verse 19, it says, this will turn out for my salvation. It's future tense. Verse 20, he says, I shall not put to shame anything. And at the end of verse 20, he says, Christ will be exalted. The future. You got to understand something. Paul is really uncertain about his future right now. He didn't know which way justice was about to blow for him. He knew that he's about to stand trial right now, and that that was sure, and that was certain, but Paul doesn't know what the outcome will be. But he's making these predictions to his responses to what could happen in the future. And he predicts joy. That's what he predicts. And he predicts confidence. And he predicts hope. And he predicts life. You know, if you are a Jesus follower this morning, I want you to know that you can predict your future. You can predict what your future response will be. So what does your future look like? I mean, your future is coming, so what will it be like? Maybe you're here this morning and you find yourself in some sort of prison today. Will your future have joy? I mean, if that's the case, does your future have hope? Does your future have life? Is your future going to be full of life? I want to tell you that you don't have to let the circumstances of your life dictate whether you have joy or hope or life, but you can today, you can choose to have joy by tapping into the joy of the Lord. 
you know, before the end of verse 18, Paul is saying, the things that have happened to me will not rob me of joy. That's what he's saying here. Because everything that I have gone through was all meant for the advancement of the gospel. Well, what things did he go through? Well, he's arrested in Jerusalem. He's falsely accused. He's imprisoned. He's in jail in Caesarea for two years. There's three mistrials that happen over there. He appeals to Caesar. He's taken to a sh- uh, on ship to Rome. That, that ship has a shipwreck, and somehow he makes it back to Rome, and then he's incarcerated again for two years. And he's saying, listen, all of those things happened to me in the past. But those things aren't going to steal my joy. I'm not going to allow the past to steal my joy. And then just before 18, he says, not only are there past circumstances or difficult circumstances, there are even some past and present people who are trying to rob me of my joy. You can read through verses 1 through 17. There are these anti-Paul, these cranky Christians who are trying to make his incarceration even more miserable. And Paul says, I am not going to let these people steal my joy. Has anyone ever tried to steal your joy? Maybe it's a jealous friend. Maybe it was an ex who's just trying to make your life miserable right now. Maybe it's someone who doesn't know how to disagree with your political views, and now they're trying to steal your joy. Maybe it's a coworker or a colleague or a friend at school who has it in for you now because. Jesus is just all over your face, and for whatever reason, they don't like that. And if that's you this morning, you need to make the stand that says, I'm not going to let that person steal my joy. But I want to also tell you that there are people in this room who speak truth to you. And it might be uncomfortable, and it might be something that you don't want to hear, That person's not trying to steal your joy. They're trying to give you joy. They're trying to show you how you can have joy. Someone speaking truth in love to you is not someone who is trying to steal your joy. But here's Paul, and he has these anti-Paul, anti-these people who just don't like him, who are trying to cause some problems, who are trying to steal his joy. And Paul says, I'm not going to let anything or anyone steal my joy. And all of that ends in verse 18, where he looks to the future. And at the end of 18, he says, yes, and I will rejoice. No matter what has happened to me, no matter who's against me, I will rejoice. Rejoice. That's the stand that I am going to make. I want to tell you today that, you know, Paul doesn't know what's going to happen in the future. As far as circumstances are concerned, he knows he's going to stand before the court for trial. 
And this appeal to Rome means that he's going to stand before Caesar himself. And he's going to stand before Caesar who, who's going to hand out a verdict. Either he's going to be set free or he's going to sever his head. That's the verdict. He will either exonerate him or he's going to exterminate him. Paul doesn't know what's about to happen. And yet he makes this prediction. He says, I will rejoice. Whatever the outcome is going to be, I will rejoice. And you might say, wait a second, Paul. What, what if it's a guilty verdict? I mean, what if Caesar says, off with his head? Right? Then you'll have to say, well, I used to rejoice, but now I don't because that's a terrible thing. Paul says, I'm not going to say that. Whether by life or by death, I will rejoice. And it tells us something, doesn't it, this morning? It tells us that joy is a choice that you make. It's a choice that you and I we get to make on a daily basis. Will you choose to have joy in your life, no matter what the circumstances? You know, last week we were saying that happiness goes up and down with the circumstance, doesn't it? But joy, joy is fixed. If you get a raise, you're happy, right? If you get a compliment, you're happy. If your team wins, you're happy. If you get a new car, you're happy. So you have to make that first payment, right? And then you're not happy anymore. You get that pink slip, you're not happy. You get that unfavorable verdict, you're not happy. You get a poor doctor's report, you're not happy. You know, joy doesn't waver when things go well for us, and joy doesn't change when things go bad for us. It's because happiness has its source in events, it has its source in people, it has its source in things, but joy has its source in a God who never changes. Which means that Paul may have had some unhappy emotions. He may have had some unhappy feelings, but what he's saying is that nothing and no one can ever steal my joy because no matter what, Jesus is going to be exalted. Paul's looking out and he says, not only have I rejoiced in the past because of my sufferings, but I will rejoice. And he says, for I know, it's confidence right there, right? For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Paul says, I know. I mean, he's sure about something here. He is a man who, in spite of his situation, he is, he is so full of faith right now. And so when he says, I know this will be for my deliverance. He's saying, I am confident in my future that no matter what happens to me, I will be delivered. No matter what happens to me, I will be saved. No matter what happens to me, salvation is mine. See, he knows that he will ultimately triumph over evil because his hope is found in the Lord. And his victory is not dependent on acquittal at this trial. Whether by life 
or by death. You know, his physical circumstances are totally out of his hands. The verdict is totally out of his hands. But Paul knows that despite appearances, God has something up his sleeve. And God will see him safely through to the ultimate eternal vindication. There are some people who are here this morning and you're going through some circumstances that are totally out of your control. Maybe it's a trial and you're waiting that verdict and it's out of your hands. Maybe it's a health issue and the results right now are they're, they're totally out of your hands. Maybe it's a work-related issue and the results are totally out of your hands. And I want to ask you this question this morning, is your confidence found in Jesus? Are you able to tap into the joy of your salvation or are you overly concerned with what the outcomes might be? Do you know what I mean when I say tap into the joy of your salvation? As a Christ follower, you can rejoice that your name is found in the Lamb's book of life. As a Christ follower, you can rejoice that your end game is heaven. As a Christ follower, you can rejoice that God has wiped away your guilt. He has wiped away your sin. He has cleansed you from all of those things from your past. He has washed away your sins. He has now made you clean. And one day, you and I, we get to be with Jesus, the joy of our salvation. You see, the joy of our salvation is Jesus. And as I've been reminding some of you about all of these things that God has done for you, for a lot of you in this room, all of the other circumstances in your life just faded away in the background for a moment, didn't they? When you start reminding yourself of all of these great things that God has done, getting that house is great. Having a favorable doctor's report is great. Getting a promotion is great, but nothing compares to the fact that our Jesus has saved us and he has rescued us from the gates of hell. And so when you begin to remind yourself of those things, man, all other things just fade away. Verse 19, for I know that this will turn out from my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. You know, Paul is here and he's writing to the church at Philippi and he's expecting that the church is going to take prayer seriously. And, the, and this passage challenges the church to pray for other people. You know, so many times for us, our prayers are so self-centered, aren't they? God, give me this. God, give me that. I need this. You need to do this for me. We pray for our needs, right? We pray for our desires. We pray for our wants. We pray for our family, our jobs, our kids. And sometimes we fail to look at the needs of other people, even while our intention is good that we want to draw close to God. We fail to pray for others. And I want to ask you, is it a priority for you to pray? Is it a priority for you to pray for other people? 
Is it a priority for you to pray for the Spirit to come in abundance to other people? Do you have other people that you can count on to pray for you during your times of trial? Do you have those people in your life? You need others to be praying for you. Not for you to get stuff, but for your spiritual well-being. You need those people in your life. If there's one thing that you get out of this challenge this morning, I ask that you take prayer seriously. Not just that you pray for yourself, but that you pray for others. That especially during times of trial, that God would fill them with his spirit in unusual abundance so that they would stand firm and be strengthened in the faith. As I've been reading this, I start to wonder, maybe we're praying the wrong things. I'm not saying you shouldn't pray for healing for somebody else. But maybe we ought to pray for an abundance of the Spirit in that person's life that while they face this trial, they will be able to stand firm. Leonard Ravenhill once said, The church has many organizers, but few agonizers. Some who pay, but few who will pray. There are many resters, but few wrestlers. Many who are enterprising, but few who are interceding. And he said, a worldly Christian will stop praying. But a praying Christian will stop worldliness. So why should we pray? There are so many reasons that I can give you. I want to tell you that spiritual work requires spiritual tools. The most frustrating experience is trying to do spiritual work with the work of the flesh. You're doomed for failure. So why should we pray? According to the text, it builds confidence, doesn't it? Paul's confidence comes from the prayers of other people. And it also comes from one other source. His confidence comes from the Holy Spirit. Verse 19, he says, for I know, right? He says, I am confident that this will turn out for my salvation through your prayers and the provision or the supply of the Spirit of Christ Jesus. I want to tell you this morning that the Holy Spirit will give you everything that you need. The Holy Spirit is there to give you everything that you need for that trial. You know, this word provision in Greek is more accurately translated as this lavish supply. This lavish supply. Paul says, the reason I'm so confident is because as you keep praying, the Holy Spirit lavishly supplies everything that I need for my future. This passage teaches us that we need to pray. We need to pray for and we need to expect 
that the Spirit will come lavishly on other Christ followers. Paul isn't looking for this special supply of the Spirit so that he would be elevated to this higher spiritual level over and above everybody else. That's not, that's not what he's asking for. He's not looking for the Spirit to give him things. He's not looking for the Spirit to give him health and wealth. And this is what a lot of prosperity teachers want you to believe. That's not what he's saying here. Paul hopes that the Spirit's lavish presence in his life will lead him to be courageous and give him this clear testimony to the gospel that whether he is spared and whether he is executed by the Roman authorities, Christ will be exalted in those things. Verse 20, according to my earnest expectation and my hope that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with boldness Christ will even now as always be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. What Paul is saying that is, he's saying that as I look to the future, the one great concern that I hope for more than anything else is that I will be a faithful witness for Jesus and that I won't be ashamed of him and that I will have all the boldness that I can have. He doesn't say I have one hope and that's to get out of jail. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying I have one hope to be able to escape this pain or this suffering or this grieving that I'm undergoing. He says, I have one great hope. And he says, live or die, I want to be a witness for Jesus. Live or die, I'm looking for an opportunity to express my faith. Live or die, I am going to exalt my Savior. It's a pretty amazing statement, isn't it? It's a pretty bold statement that he makes here, isn't it? You know, this world isn't ashamed of what it believes. And it's getting bolder and bolder every single day, right? They use every opportunity they can. Every song they write, every sitcom on TV is used to further their agenda, to share their views on abortion and to share their views on homosexuality and share their views on promiscuity. And they want to get all of that right in your face, don't they? But it's time for us as Christ followers to seek the boldness that comes with the Holy Spirit and be bold. Our kids, our youth, they need the Holy Spirit to be bold at school. Our college students need the Holy Spirit to make some bold stands at school. We need the Holy Spirit to be bold on the job. Our families, we need the boldness that comes from the Holy Spirit to stand firm for the gospel in our neighborhoods. Boldness will come with a lavish supply of the Holy Spirit. And I'll close our time this morning with verse 21. Verse 21, Paul says this. He says, For me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Paul says, look, I don't know what's about to happen. I don't know what I can expect, really. But for me, if I'm exonerated, if I'm acquitted, if I'm set free, 
then hallelujah for the deliverance of Jesus Christ. He says, for me, my life is all about Jesus, and I will continue to live for the advancement of Jesus and his kingdom. But if the court says, off with my head, right? If the court says, if I die, then hallelujah anyways for the salvation of Jesus because I get to be with my Jesus for eternity. The statement that Paul makes shows you how intimate his relationship with Jesus was. I want to ask you this morning, what is your relationship like with Jesus? Do you live for him, really? Maybe you don't have joy in your life because of what you're living for. Are you living for your career? Are you living for your family? Are you living for this relationship that you're in? Are you living for education? Are you living for an advancement in status? If you personalize verse 21, for me to live is what? And to die is what? You know, if you say, for me to live is wealth, then you need to say, to die is loss. Because you can't take your wealth with you. You'll leave it all here behind you. If living is about getting a lot of money, then when you die, it is a total loss. If you say, for me to live is fame, then you also have to say, to die is a loss. Because you can be famous here, but you won't be over there. If you say, for me to live is to have physical appearance, you'll have to put loss there as well. Because when you die, you're going to get real ugly really, really quick. The only way that you can have a gain is to say, for me to live is Christ. Therefore, to die is gain. If I live, I live for Christ. If I die, I live with Christ. Either way, there's life on both sides of that equation. What does your equation look like? this morning. Who are you living for? Do you live for your spouse, for your family, for your kids? Do you live for your job or your education? Do you live for all of these things? Some of you, you want to say, I live for Christ. But I tell you, if you show me your calendar and show me how you spend your time every single day, I'll show you who you live for. If you show me your bank account and show me where your money is going, I'll show you who you live for. Paul says, for me to live is Christ. See, he is all that I have. He is all that I need. Jesus, he is my 
everything. And because he's my everything, to die is gain because I get to be with him. I'm going to ask the prayer team if you would come forward this morning. Some of you are probably wondering, well, what happened to Paul? Paul would be set free. And he'll spend about a year out of jail. We don't know what he did that year, but we know that he's preaching the gospel somewhere. Probably building a church somewhere. A year later, he gets arrested again in Troas. And he's brought to Rome a second time. And this time he's not under house arrest like he was when he's writing this letter to the church in Philippi. This second time he's sent to the Mamertine prison in Rome. And it's basically this hole in the ground without any windows. It's basically solitary confinement. They have to lower food down to get to him, and he'd spend some days there. After some time, he's taken out of this prison, and he's taken to this basilica that's named after Julius Caesar, and there he's given the death verdict. And he's condemned to die. And they would strip Paul, and they tied him up, and they would beat him with rods one last time. And then the executioner swung his blade and the head of the greatest preacher rolled to the ground. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. In that one year, he's preaching Jesus, but in that one moment, he's present with Jesus. In that one brutal moment, Paul went from the city of Rome to that eternal city in heaven. He was preaching Christ, and now he's with Christ. This is why he wasn't afraid. If I live, I preach Christ. I get to be with Christ. And if you kill me, I get to be with Christ. Either way, I win. Either way, I'm delivered. Either way, I experience salvation. And no matter what, no matter what happens to me, I choose to rejoice. And I'm going to have confidence through prayer. I'm going to have confidence that through your prayers it will bring hope. It's going to bring a lavish supply of the Holy Spirit to give me the confidence to stand firm on who Jesus is. And no matter what, I will have life. As I've been reading through the book of Philippians, there's two major things that we're challenged with. The first one is that joy comes from advancing the kingdom of God. That's where joy comes from. Maybe you're saved. Maybe you've asked Jesus to come into your life and into your heart, but you don't have joy because you're not serving anywhere. Are you serving in his kingdom? The second thing that I noticed was that joy comes from knowing Jesus. That's where it comes from. 
If you have a relationship with Jesus, you'll want to live for him. And you'll want to die for him. If you have a, a relationship with Jesus, you'll want to serve him. You'll want to tell others about him. Do you know this Jesus intimately this morning? Do you know him intimately enough to say that I will live for him and I will die for him? What is your relationship like with him this morning? Would you stand with me as we pray today? With your eyes closed and your heads bowed, this scares some people who are here this morning because if you were to die, you're not sure where you'd be. You're really not confident about your final destination. I mean, if you want your final destination to be with Jesus, and Scripture is really clear about what you need to do, you need to ask God for forgiveness. Ask Him to forgive your sins. Turn from your sins. Ask Him to come into your heart and begin to live for Him. And if that's you, I'm going to ask that you pray this in your heart right now. Lord, I give you my life. I know that I am a sinner. Forgive me. I believe in Jesus. I believe you paid for my sins. I believe that you died on a cross. I believe you rose from the dead. And so I turn away from my sin. I leave my past behind. I turn to Jesus as Savior, as my friend, as my Lord. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time that you've given to us. God, we thank you for the book of Philippians. Help us this week to choose joy. That no matter what we're faced with, God, help us to tap into the joy of our salvation, which is you. Jesus, as we study your word, would you draw close to us? Would you reveal yourself to us? Would you reveal your will for us? Through this week, God, help us, Lord God, to stand firm. Help us to be bold, Lord Jesus, for you. Help us to make bold stands for you, God. Help us, God, to remember our brothers and our sisters, our kids, our youth, our teens, our college students, our college students who are preparing to go to school. God, we, we ask that you would lavishly supply your Holy Spirit to them, that they would make bold stands in their schools. Holy Spirit, would you lavish yourself on us that we would be bold in this city and in our neighborhoods and in our families. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.